Welcome to Moments with M3 Leadership Podcast, where Mary Malone and her guests have authentic conversations about leadership, navigating transitions, and finding purpose both at work and at home. We hope this conversation will give you the inspiration, power, and courage to reach for greatness while making a difference for someone else. Now, here's your host, Mary Malone McCarthy. Welcome to Moments with M3 Leadership Podcast. My name is Mary Malone McCarthy, and I'm thrilled to have all of you here with me today. The purpose of our podcast has always been to learn from some of the best and brightest leaders on topics such as conscious capitalism, how we can inspire greatness from others, and most importantly, how we as leaders and individuals can impact others' lives. And boy, now more than ever, I have to say, I think we are really impacting people's lives as leaders, as organizations, and the call to action to focus on the whole person. And today's guest, Susie Sosa, is a remarkable leader. She is the co-founder and CEO of Verb. And as we continue through a year of transformation and growth, Susie and I have a fantastic conversation about what human-centered leadership means, what our view of conscious capitalism is, and what leading today looks like and how different it is from years ago, and even I would even say months ago. So with that said, help me welcome Susie Sosa, and I'll tell you a little bit about her background. Susie Sosa is the co-founder and CEO of Verb. It's a learning and development company transforming leadership training at work. Verb's Turnkey Solutions presents bite-sized leadership lessons in a platform designed to create behavior changes across an organization. Verb focuses on the capabilities employees need most to lead in the modern workplace such as building inclusion, goal setting, creating psychological safety, and communicating effectively. Verb's flagship clients include Whole Foods, Chanel, Facebook, and Bumble. Prior to Verb, Susie was on the founding team of a fintech startup focused on the unbanked, led the social entrepreneurship program at the University of Texas at Austin, and served in the U.S. Department of Commerce. She is the recipient of the 2014 Ernst & Young Social Entrepreneur of the Year Award and the co-author of Social Impact, Adventures in Innovation and Entrepreneurship. She has a master's in public administration from the Harvard Kennedy School and a BA in the Plan 2 Honors Program from UT Austin. So please join me in giving a warm welcome to Susie Sosa. Good morning and welcome, Susie. It's so great to have you a part of Moments with M3 Leadership Podcast. And we've got a number of great topics we're going to be discussing today. And I thought it would be great for our audience first just to get to know you and the story of Susie Sosa. I just I love to have that name just has such a ring. And you know who you are as a person and your your leadership style and those types of things. But if you could just introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, Mary Malone, thank you for having me. I, I always like to hang out with people with, who have alliterative names. <laughs> we we have to together. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Verb, and we are a leadership development platform for companies to help them train their, in particular, their people leaders and then the people who report to them. And we have a specific point of view that we focus on what we call, well, what is called human-centered leadership. So we put a lot of emphasis on human skills like empathy, communication, inclusion and so forth. But I, I've been an entrepreneur since the early 2000s, but I didn't actually start off that way. I went to school for government. I wanted to change the world. And I thought that was a way that I could impact millions of people. And my first day of work in the U.S. government was September 10th, 2001. Mm. So obviously September 11th happened the next day and they froze the budgets. So I was working in the Department of Commerce in economic development and we just couldn't really do anything because everything was frozen and I was young and idealistic. So I quit and I thought, okay, now how am I going to change the world? <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I ended up connecting, reconnecting with some friends that I knew as an undergrad in Austin, Texas. Texas, who had started a business that 
was serving the unbanked. So people who were not using mainstream banks. And it really captured my imagination because here was actually a for-profit business that was trying to solve a really important social problem of, of helping people that don't use banks. And so that set me off on now it's been almost a you know, 20 year journey trying to think about how we could take the best of the nonprofit world and the best of the for profit world and put them together in what is now called social entrepreneurship. So that's what I've been, you know, living and doing for the last 20 years. Uh, in the middle of it, I actually took a few years to go to the University of Texas, where I led the social entrepreneurship program and got to teach this uh, to undergrad, graduate students, but it's totally my passion. That's fantastic. And I love your story of, you know, thinking that you were going to solve problems and started your career in the government sector. And then, you know, through tragic events that such as 9-11 turned into still an entrepreneur at heart. And I love your energy around that, but to still solve problems in a different way is fantastic. And I know that when I met you, it's like, I always believe when you meet somebody that's going to have an impact in your life, it's sort of like you have this snapshot that freezes in your mind for life. And I could still see us having this conversation going, gosh, she's just cool. And she's got a lot of great thoughts. I love the way she's going after solving issues and helping people and helping organizations. And I'm so glad that continued on from there, which the event that we did meet each other at was, you know, the Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit, I think three years ago now, maybe two or three years ago. And much of what you're describing is what conscious capitalism is all about, that capitalism is good, but we have a social responsibility to impact individuals, our communities, and our world. And I think that is something at the core of who I am as a person, and I really sense that from you when we, when we map. And when you think about conscious capitalism and the four tenets, which are you know, higher purpose, stakeholder integration, and just for clarification, stakeholder integration is number one, the employees and how you care for them, um, conscious leadership and conscious culture. Um, and so I'm curious about how you got involved with conscious capitalism, what drew you there and how I see many of the core values of conscious capitalism being a part of Verb today. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm really lucky because I just happen to live in Austin, Texas, which is the home base uh, and origin place of Whole Foods. Yes. Uh, so I met John Mackey in the early 2000s in the kind of entrepreneurship scene in Austin. And he became um, a really impactful mentor in my life. And of course, mm. he's one of the founders of Conscious Capitalism. So I, I was really more in that kind of social entrepreneurship world until then. And conscious capitalism was a really big distinction for me from social entrepreneurship. In social entrepreneurship, most of the focus is on the business structure. So, you know, they'll talk about double bottom line or triple bottom line companies. So they're striving for financial return and social impact or financial return, social impact and environmental sustainability is the triple bottom line. Mm. But at John and I was introduced to the conscious capitalism world, there were these other dimensions. And one that was really meaningful to me was this idea of conscious leadership, that it wasn't enough to just run a conscious business that was responsible in its footprint and responsible in the way that it delivered its products or treats its employees, but also that the CEO has a fundamental responsibility to be a conscious leader. Yeah. And I felt that in the social entrepreneurship space, there were a lot of leaders who had, were running, you know, on paper, really ethical or socially minded businesses, but they themselves were not being very conscious. Mm. And that's one of the things I loved about conscious capitalism was this call to greatness for the CEO and for the leadership team to also practice a higher level of leadership throughout their lives. And so that was something that really excited me and attracted, yeah, attracted me to the community. Yeah, it's almost as though you've, you know, I've heard this term many times now, but you kind of find your tribe <laughs> when you're there because the sense that I got is that the leaders there were on a journey that was never over. You were always committed and continue to be growing and learning and learning how to be better at your role as a leader in the company. But I think 
most importantly, being better as a person and to kind of self-reflect from within. And that's where that all starts. And I think for conscious leaders, they really do need a community of those that will raise the bar, that will challenge you to help you think more creatively and differently. So I agree. I think it's been an incredible community to get involved with and to see how businesses are really truly making a difference through this conscious cap leadership mindset and organizational mindset. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite John Mackey quotes was or is that a company can only advance or evolve as much as its leader is willing to evolve. And I've lived that in my business, that whenever my company hit a plateau, I ultimately discovered that it was something about my leadership style that was holding it back and that I needed to, you know, grow through and evolve through. Another thing I want to touch on is I think that conscious capitalism is so special because of the combination of these conscious practices with capitalism. And, you know, my business is with very focused on conscious leadership. So I, I, I get to meet a lot of people that are really dedicated to this work. And what I find is that there are a lot of groups that are really committed to expanding human consciousness, but who often feel that capitalism is part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And so they are not really enthusiastic about capitalism. And what's unique about conscious capitalism is that the community members really believe that the capitalist system has so much inherent good to bring to humankind in terms of wealth creation and opportunity. And so I think that's also really unique in that community to find people that are really committed to expansion of human consciousness, to things like the Healing Organization, which mm -hmm. is, you know, a book that came out a couple of years ago. And who, and who believe that capitalism is part of the solution. And I think that's a conversation that isn't being held loud enough in the United States right now, because especially in millennials and Gen Z, there's a lot of skepticism about capitalism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a real need for it to evolve, uh, to be more inclusive Absolutely. and to better protect uh, people and planet. And I, I think conscious capitalism is one of those groups that's you know, really on the forefront of thinking about, like, how could capitalism operate differently with better outcomes? Fantastic. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think John Mackey says it so well, like, capitalism in our society is a great thing. We just have to use it wisely and that we should celebrate organizations that are thriving, celebrate leaders that are doing good work to be able to do good work in the communities and to make an impact in our, our world as a whole. So I couldn't agree more. And I would love to see the movement grow. And I know there's a lot of work being done with that. And it's interesting because what M3, the shift that we have seen is that it used to be nice to have a good organization, a good culture, good leadership, all of those types of things. And now the shift is that the employees and good talent are really expecting this. And if the organization isn't committed, if the leader isn't growing, if there isn't a higher purpose and values, um, they're at risk for flight. And there's also a big challenge where individuals aren't going to go to organizations that don't have a belief in this. And so it's really fascinating. I think COVID has accelerated this. You know, they're saying 10 years have been condensed into 12 to 18 months. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think a point that you made that is just fantastic is, and I think about this often, companies do plateau. And there's leaders that point to everything else other than themselves. And I think there's a an ownership that we have to take and to be humble enough to look inside to say, what am I doing and what could I be doing differently to help the organization continue to grow? And when you mention conscious capitalism, I think the other shift that we're seeing is that organizations are starting to take ownership in societal issues versus the government. And I, I have a huge passion behind that as we continue on this journey. So we could talk for hours about the impact, and I think it's going to come up more and more through our conversation. But why don't we why don't we jump into exactly what you were talking about? Is that Leadership today is, I think, extremely different than leadership before. And there were many successful leaders through history. And that 
I think COVID has really turned everything upside down. And, and although there's immense tragedy and worry, I do believe that through these dark times, there's new expectations, there's new opportunities for leaders. And maybe some of those leaders that did have a passion for it have permission to step up differently. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on leadership, what you're seeing, especially with Verb and what's changing and, and what the priorities are. There has been a huge shift, you know, in the last 18 months. In some ways, I think it was happening already, but slowly and was just really accelerated in terms of the capabilities that make a successful leader in companies today. And it it wasn't just the pandemic. I think the kind of racial reckoning that's been happening has also precipitated a need for new capabilities. Like Mm -hmm. one that we hear a lot about right now is psychological safety. You know, can a leader create psychological safety in their teams. And that's a complicated capability, right? It's it's not just, can you write a memo? Yes or no. <laughs> it's, right. it's creating psychological safety requires things like being able for the leader to be able to be vulnerable. So that alone, Brene Brown has a whole body of work trying yes. to help leaders become more vulnerable. It, creating psychological safety requires new modes of listening that may not be the way that the leader grew up through the organization. It requires empathy and self-awareness to what's going on in the interpersonal dynamics of people on the team. So a lot of these capabilities are being kind of bundled together and called human skills. So it's really trying to focus attention on capabilities and skills that relate to human interaction. Josh Burson's paper on human-centered leadership, he distinguishes human-centered leadership from business-centered leadership. And I think that's really one of the big trends that is happening right now is companies are weak in some of the human-centered leadership skills, especially, you know, with their their frontline, their, their first-line managers, their mid-level managers. And that's really where employees are needing support. And those are the capabilities that are most in demand right now. Let me give another example. You know, many companies are choosing now to stay remote first. Mm-hmm. So they're not really going back to the office full-time. And one of the possible impacts of that is a, a loss of culture or a threat to culture because, you know, culture is so much about community and connection and trust. And and most of the way that companies have done that in the past is through in-person gatherings, right? Happy hours and celebrations and right. retreats and events. And so how do you build community and connection in a remote work environment? You are going to need really strong human skills, right? And Absolutely. Managers, you know, a lot of those human skills were just kind of assumed or presumed, and now they actually have to be built and built and strengthened. Correct. Correct. And you bring up an interesting point because we talked a lot about the leadership. So in our listeners' mind, they're probably thinking the CEO, the C-suite, and making sure that they're working on all of these skills. And the managers that are on the line and, you know, their world was turned up side down even more so. I think that is the group that, you know, this all sounds good and I love the idea, but I've got data, I've got a track, I've got numbers I have to meet. I'm getting into territory that just I don't know how to start these conversations. And we actually, we did a whole program on mental wellness And I borrow that term from Harriet Hardy, who I think the world of ADT, and she said, you know, that her her best line was, it doesn't have to be perfect, just open that conversation, just start those conversations. And so when we looked at, you know, the statistics as far as what people's needs were, the human needs were just through the roof Mm -hmm. and performance isn't going to be there when their worlds are being dominated by so many other issues. I think those frontline managers need that support and need to understand. And, you know, for our listeners, we do have a lot of existing and up and coming leaders. What what advice do you have for them to be able to start on this journey? I'm a believer you start within, right? You know, start to learn more about yourself, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
we see that that is a huge gap for companies, which is those junior level managers. And by, you know, sometimes frontline managers, people think retail or service industry, but I'm, I think we're talking about the level one manager, the, the first time manager, right? Yes. Um, they have, you know, three to five people reporting to them and their average age is about 30. Mm-hmm. So, and in uh, most companies, the average age when someone gets leadership training is 42. So, you're going to spend 12 years uh, in your company or coming to your company or in their in their career circuit leading people but not having had any training. And when companies were in person, you know, they told us they used to kind of be able to fudge it a little bit and hope that management skills were learned sort of by osmosis, but now they they just can't do that anymore. And so companies are really asking themselves, okay, how do we provide effective leadership training and management training to those junior level leaders? And, and that's what we focus on at VERB. We don't actually do any C-suite or VP level leadership development. We focus on the lower levels of of manager and what we found is there's a when you said you know where to start when we started verb we only taught leadership skills and so we focused on self-awareness and and empathy and purpose and all these great topics and we heard from companies that they also needed support with manager fundamentals and what they called the sort of rhythms of management like we have mm-hmm lower level managers who don't really even know how to structure a week or a month or a quarter. And there's just these foundational capabilities. So we said, oh, we we need to add this to our library of, of online content, but let's do it in a way that also reinforces our leadership capabilities. So for example, instead of providing a kind of classic template for how to do a one-on-one, let's think about what does it mean to do a more inclusive one-on-one? How do you run a meeting that creates belonging? So Mm -hmm. we've been looking at uh, how do we support leaders or or people leaders with those, those rhythms of management, the manager basics, but in a way that's already setting the tone for those leadership capabilities that they need as well. That's fantastic. I love that, the rhythm, because it is such a rhythm and ripple. You know, I think there's the skills that you're teaching are impactful for that one-on-one, but then they're going to show up in other conversations and other places. And I think this shift is also so powerful because so often an M3 would have this and you'd get the phone call of, boy, we have this great manager and he or she is fantastic. Their technical abilities are, we can't lose them. We can't lose and that was always the priority. But they're a train wreck and the turnover rate is immense in this department. And so can you come in and fix it? And so you're trying to rewind years and years of programming. They were rewarded for success, but they never had the opportunity to learn all of the people human-centric skills that were going to allow them to be successful as a whole. And so there were, I think, challenges and and behaviors that were tolerated because the results were there. So I love that Verb's approach is let's start early on Mm-hmm. And let's look at a holistic approach to creating really great, meaningful leadership skills that are going to, I would say, not only be impactful in your organization, but help them as a person, that whole person when they go home and in their communities, which I'm very passionate about. So I think that is that's fantastic. I also do you see organizations, you know, there's so much about what the new benefits are going to be. And it's not just health, it's not just PTO. The benefits benefits that organizations are going to be providing or that good talent is looking for is is different. You know, benefits is going to include we're going to invest in your leadership skills and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to make sure we're taking care of the whole person. So this whole shift in conversation and we're having it now with talent looking at organizations and those top organizations that differentiate themselves are doing just that. Are you seeing that or do you see there is an opportunity for our listeners to be thinking more creatively and differently about their benefits? 
Yes, actually, Whole Foods offers VERB as an employee benefit to every single employee in the company. And we've had, you know, incredible feedback from their learners about being given access to to this kind of training. In fact, one of the things I'm really proud of is, you know, we had many Whole Foods learners ask if they could get another VERB license for their husband or for their teenager because they found the content so useful. So we are seeing that. That said, one of the realities of workplace learning is that employees always say they don't have time. Like 100% Mm -hmm. of our customers, their team members say, I don't have time for learning. So what we found is that when leadership development is offered as an employee benefit, it's, it's challenging to create the incentives and accountability for people to really do the work. And like you pointed out in that example of the, the difficult manager, If you're trying to transform really entrenched patterns, it's going to require a period of discomfort. Mm -hmm. Meaningful learning is difficult. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to keep your employees engaged when it gets difficult? And so we see actually a lot greater success in the learning outcomes when companies make this a strategic priority. Mm which means not only buying leadership development software like Verb or investing in some other kind of program, actually having a CEO buy-in, having it get talked about at all hands meetings, being integrated into performance reviews, having a lot of structure around it. So I think you're absolutely right that it's now becoming expected. And, you know, I think Deloitte in their annual millennial survey have reported a number of times that, you know, millennials won't stay at companies where they don't feel they're being developed as leaders. And so, but I think that it's not really usually enough to just offer it like, hey, you've got free access to this tool, knock yourself out. You want to see the results, you have to put the organizational muscle behind it. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And there's so many dots that are starting to connect. You know, when you think about, there's a number of of statistics out there, but the average cost of a person that you lose is one and a half times their salary. That doesn't include the stress and the frustration of the team members around that person that's either picking up additional work, training the third and fourth person in this job. And so as companies re-examine the cost for high turnover, and we have a lot of conversations of, you know, how do we recruit and retain great talent? And it's not just about compensation, you know, so we really peel back the onion to start to look at the organization from the inside out and programs such as as Verb and the leadership development and starting young in their careers helps retain and develop and build so much more muscle to your word in that organization for the long term. Mm -hmm. And so you just think about the power of investing in the human person. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what business you're in, you got to start there. And I think is is pretty amazing, which leads me to my, my next question. And you've opened my eyes once again to this concept of human-centered leadership. And we've touched on it a little bit, but I, I found it fascinating to look side by side at business-focused leadership and human-centered leadership. And, you know, Conscious Cap will also talk about the statistics of the high-performing companies are conscious organizations consciously led investing in their 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 employees share with our audience you know a little bit about this new philosophy and what drives you where your passion is behind this i i am fully on board but i'd love to hear our audience hear more yeah i think this is you know where the world is going and it's exciting to see businesses you know embracing this and recognizing its importance you know when i started my professional career I was asking that question of like, how can I have the biggest impact in my short life? And mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I thought, oh, maybe it'll be through government. And it ended up being through entrepreneurship. And at this stage in my life, I realized that the way I could have the biggest impact in my life was waking up as many people as possible 
to, you know, capabilities like empathy, compassion, inclusion. What kind of world would it be if Verb had activated, uh, reignited, you know, 8 million human-centered leaders? And so that's the fire for me is that we need people who live in a human-centered way. We need companies that make decisions that are human-centered decisions. We need our government to be operating that way. So for me, this is like my kind of hope and prayer in a better society for my children is if we can start to inject the DNA of a different set of priorities. And like you referenced, you know, Business-centered leadership was very focused on things like finance and competitive advantage. There are a lot of war and sports analogies that get used in that kind of classic business leadership. You know, you we used to call it the war room, you know, where you would go and plan yeah. Your, your your strategy and you know you would think about attacking your competitors and and it was all like really aggressive and very much a zero sum game and look where that has gotten us mm-hmm. so in human centered leadership there's this focus on you know inspiring coaching developing it's more of an abundance mindset of like if you know the high tide is going to lift all the boats you know healing is a big part of this when we it think about where the world has been in the last 18 months there's a lot of healing to do so i think this is there's a sense of urgency for me at a global scale of why mm-hmm. we- And even if you just think about business, like Facebook is one of my customers and Facebook has been under serious attack in the press for, you know, its role. And I say that in quotes because I don't know what the truth is, but Facebook's role in spreading disinformation regarding the vaccine or again, we saw in, in the election and the leaders at Facebook are confronted every single day with huge ethical questions mm-hmm. that have a major impact on our government, our political community, our society, our youth, you know, Mm -hmm. teenage suicide rates are growing because of social media. And so when I think about Facebook as my customer and I think about how do I support them in providing high quality human centered leadership to their people, That feels really meaningful and important to me because I want not just the C-suite at Facebook or the VPs, but I want every manager and people leader to be able to understand, like one of our collections on Verb is questioning assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. And challenging beliefs. So if someone at Facebook sees something going on that they don't think is is ethical, do they have the tools to be able to speak up? Do they have the tools to be able to propose alternatives, to to get buy-in? These are all leadership capabilities that are really important. And so, you know, you can tell my my passion for this is is really deep because I feel a great sense of concern about where the world is and where it's going. And if we don't have a different kind of leadership prevalent, like everywhere, you know, I don't know how we're going to get out of this mess. I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I'm just nodding my head and in, in full support. And I think that, you know, to the benefit where, where employees are now asking this and, and expecting it. So I do think there's huge opportunity and blue skies on the horizon as we emerge out of this. And one point that I wanted to make when, you know, organizations think about human centered leadership, it's not, you have to change choose one or the other. They're really intertwined, but I think you lead with a human-centered leadership mindset. The results are probably, you know, from a performance level, are strong, if not greater. And there's some amazing statistics that are out there. But I think it's it's more in the approach and the demand that's there when you think about the statistics that are out there and the burnout and the fear factor and the uncertainty. People need the new skills and new muscle around a mindset to be able to function differently. Yeah. Well, we have to meet people where they are. And the truth is, you know, our people are traumatized, exhausted, overwhelmed, 
And, you know, here we are in July of 2021. And in some ways, the U.S., it feels like, oh, we made it through. But now the Delta variant is coming back. You know, Austin here, we have gone into higher stages of alert. And my team is exhausted. Like, you know, are we open? Are we closed? Are we open? Are we closed? What's going on? And so as business leaders, we might wish we could go back to 2019 and be hard charging for, you know, huge growth. But the reality is that we have a workforce that is continuing to go through this, you know, world of uncertainty and trauma. So we have to meet them where they are. And I think there's, there's a kind of great reckoning happening right now with business leaders like, oh, I, I can't just, you know, push down on the accelerator at the rate that I was in, you know, Q4 of 2019. Yeah, we made, we made it through the pandemic. I put that in quotes because I don't think it's over yet, but, mm-hmm. but the people are exhausted. And so when you think about human-centered leadership skills and business-centered leadership skills and meeting your organization and meeting your people where they are, right now, they need a heavy dose of the human-centered leadership skills. They need nurturing, support, compassion. They need someone that can model self-care skills. So when do we ever, as CEOs, think about how to model self-care? Like That's a conversation that hasn't been happening. One of my favorite topics is energy management. Mm -hmm. You know, how How, as a leader, as a CEO, do I manage my own energy so that if my energy is down, I know what I need to do to take care of myself, maybe use some self-compassion, which is Kristen Neff's uh, big topic. And then how do I manage my calendar and my time? so that my I can manage my energy. And those are human-centered leadership skills. And most CEOs and other leaders didn't model that, right? No. They modeled like, I mean, it, we were still talking about, quote, work-life balance, and most CEOs weren't even doing that, right? Right, um, right. So I think you're right that, you know, both kinds of leadership skills are always going to be necessary for business to succeed. But if we look at where our people are today and and face the truth, they need to learn and grow in these human-centered skills the most right now. And you know, the business-centered skills will will always be there and we'll keep coming back to them, but that's not the priority. Correct, correct. I think it's a natural part that that takes place as you focus on the human-centered leadership styles. And I agree. I think COVID is going to have, I I referenced chapters. I said, this is just another chapter in the COVID story that, you know, will be studied for many, many, many years to come. And, you know, for those listeners and those organizations that are kind of having this aha moment, there's, there's no time better than now to start. And when you're doing the right thing, good things happen. And you should always do the right thing just because it is the right thing to do and be very authentic about that. But, you know, a natural result is going to be that your employees are going to be happier. They're going to stay. They're going to ride the uncertainty through with you because there's trust. Great talent is going to be interested in your organization because they're hearing that you you really do care about me as a person and my, you know, human-centered needs, whether it's mental wellness, whether it's stepping away and it's okay for me to say, I need to take an afternoon off just to regroup, you know, these types of things. And so I think there's huge opportunity for people to come out stronger from probably one of our most challenging times in our history and our lifetime. And I think it's it's an exciting time and it's an energizing time to to see this type of change. Yeah. I think we should also acknowledge, though, the the fear that CEOs and other leaders have about these changes. I know, you know, after 2020, which was not a great growth year for us as a business, I was ready for 2021. Like, come on, we need to make lost time. And my people were tired. I I had seven people separate from verb in the first half of 2021 on a team of 25. Uh, Mm. you know, that's, it was a big number for us and there were a variety of factors, but part of it was just, you know, people being burned out. So I realized, oh, I can't just come in hard charging with my team. And 
So, of course, there's been a lot of uh, conversation in the press about moving to a four-day work week. And as a CEO, that's scary, right? It's like, well, my numbers were down last year. Now you want me to go to a four-day work week. Like, what's that going to do to my numbers this year? Right. Uh, the same with the remote first was it has been scary for me. You know, my team was very clear, like, we don't want to go back to the office. Uh, we want to stay at home. And I've never led a remote first company. I've never been part of a remote first company. And it, you know, brings a lot of questions about what's that going to do to our our performance yes. uh, as a business. So race and anti-racism is another topic where mm. I was a complete novice and my my team really pushed our company to engage in this area. And now we've spent tens of thousands of dollars bringing in consultants and sending the team to training. And again, at a time when my revenue is lower than I want it to be, to be investing that kind of money in DEI and anti-racism is, is scary. Mm-hmm. And so I say all that just to you know acknowledge that I agree with you 100% that when you do the right thing, it works out and it pays off and it's still scary. It's scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's challenging a lot of my long held beliefs and assumptions about what I need to do and where I need to spend money for my business to be successful. And so it's, it's requiring a lot of growth and openness on, on the leader, you know, the senior leader part too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for acknowledging that because I think it's true. It's not just all happy go lucky. We're going to do all these great things and it's all magic. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty and sleepless nights and worry. And I think that it's staying that course and being vulnerable to Brene Brown's point to say that I'm concerned, I'm worried, but to have a team see that you're a whole person and you're willing to share and that you're willing to make this investment. But this is, you know, it's a stretch, but I believe believe in this and I think we need to do that are very different conversations and this is a budget item or this wasn't in the budget as you used to see things in the past. Mm-hmm. So it, it's an amazing time and I think that you know you have leaders that are learning or leaders that are thriving um, and you also have employees that are starting to think differently, have a stronger voice, make decisions. I mean how remarkable to have April which still somewhat of a pandemic time, the greatest resignation month in history. Mm -hmm. You know, people are just saying, I'm out, I'm done. This isn't a fit for me. I'm going to make different choices. It's just such a statement of a wake up call for us, I think, you know, at many, many levels. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, most leaders you know, we're of a certain age and generation, right? (laughs) Not always, but most of us. And we were conditioned and grew up in a world with a certain set of priorities. So we had goals for wealth accumulation, for, you know, having a house of a certain size and location, all of these things. The younger generations don't think about life that way, right? You know, this has been happening for a long time, this whole kind of like renting, leasing, pay by the hour way of living. And so I think that a lot of us stayed in jobs that we didn't like because we were afraid, you know, what's going to happen to my 401k, you know, what's going to happen to my savings account? And millennials and Gen Z are not making the decision the same way. And so I think it's a a warning for leaders if you make decisions about your people based on how you would make priorities, how you would set priorities in your life, you're not going to be successful because they're not staying at your company for the reasons you stayed at your company. And they're not afraid of leaving for the reasons you were afraid of leaving, you know, 20 years ago. And, and I think that I'm not sure how many leaders have really internalized this. Like what you mean you're going to quit your job at my company and go live in a van? (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, it's just a really different set of priorities. It's a different culture and, and, and generation. And so I think when we talk about retention and, and attracting top talent, leaders are going to have to shift their assumptions about what's important for these younger workers. It is. And, you know, 
for at M3, we really meet organizations where they're at and help them on this journey. And it's so rewarding to see those leaders just needing the guidance or the the mentor or the resources to start to have these conversations and then move the needle all for, you know, a better organization, a better community. And, you know, I said this many, many times, I'm sure I've shared it with you before, Susie, but I think, you know, it really started when my father would always say that people get up and they go to work every day. And, you know, it's our responsibility to make it a nice place for them to go and to enjoy being there. You know, he pre, pre-conscious capitalism, I think he was very much a, a conscious leader. And I also take that philosophy a step further to say, as we invest and we teach them about themselves and human-centered leadership and caring for them, they're going to do a much better job being a part of that organization. They're going to stay at your organization. But by the way, they're going to go home, better spouses, better partners, better parents, and help those kids and have a different conversation or help that partner or family member. And then they're going to go into the community. So I think that the power that Verb has and that M3 has to start to make some incredible change for the good mm-hmm. is just so energizing to me. And I know for you to be able to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of weird to me to think that, you know, once upon a time, what we taught people at work was completely disconnected from what we wanted them to do in the rest of their life, you know? And now I think very much about like my employees are citizens in their community, their parents, you know? And so how can I give them the opportunity to learn the things that I want them to know as they go out into the world and, and, you know, impact all kinds of things? It's, it's just, I feel blessed all the time, you know, when you have that opportunity. We At M3, we, we start our, our Monday team meetings with um, personal and professional update. And I'm so, always so enjoy and look forward to people's personal update and kind of tracking, you know, where they are, where their kids are, a new house, what their weekend was. And that is rewarding and it's exciting. So with that, Susie, as we close out, is there a memorable moment or experience that you would love to share with our audience and or some advice? Because, you know, I hope our audience today is kind of having a different shift in how they think about leadership or they were on that journey and we gave them that boost to stay, stay with it, you know, as exhausted and, and tired as people are. You had, you had told me you were going to ask me this <laughs> question. And so I was thinking about what is a memorable moment in my own journey and development as a leader. And the one that jumped out to me was last summer, 2020, we were in a really difficult situation as a business financially you know, I wasn't sure we were going to make it through the year and we let go of about 30% of our team. And so including my entire senior leadership team. And so I had gathered the next level of leaders who were now in charge of running each of our teams. And we were having a strategy session to think about how we could survive. (laughs) You know, do we need to pivot our product and or change it in some way. So all options were on the table. And, you know, we were talking about how do you, maybe we should adapt verb to help companies sustain culture in a remote world. Maybe we should adapt verb to help companies with onboarding in a remote world. And one of the topics was around diversity, equity, inclusion, since that was so hot in the summer of 2020. And I said, well, maybe we should focus on DEI and really, you know, do a quick sprint and create a bunch of DEI content and then focus on selling that. And my team kind of revolted. (laughs) You know, they said, no way. Like we do not have the, the credibility and the subject matter expertise to make DEI content. You know, we don't have that kind of diversity on our content team. And in fact, we as a company aren't even really doing the work around becoming an anti-racist organization. And I was so pissed off. (laughs) I had to actually almost finish the meeting and go for a walk around the block with my partner, Steve, because I was like, 
I'm trying to keep this company alive. We just let go of 30% of our team. I don't even know if we're going to make it through the year. And they're telling me they don't want to sell a product because we aren't doing the work. You know, I was so uh. confronted and defensive. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I stayed resistant for a while, but I, I thank goodness I had some incredible leaders on my team who spoke with me one-on-one and really helped me start to see like, you know, Suze, this is really important. Like, you know, I, we may go out of business, but we need to do this work anyway. And so with quite a bit of resistance and reluctance, uh, in the fall of 2020, I started engaging in DEI and other anti-racist trainings. Um, one was run by conscious capitalism, which was really helpful. And I did others and I, you know, I started listening to the podcasts and reading and reaching out into my network. In fact, I met several other CEOs through conscious capitalism who were much further along in work around DEI and anti-racism. But personally, as a leader, I was so confronted. I just, you know, I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't think it was my problem. I thought I was angry that my employees said we couldn't make money on DEI because it wasn't our place. You know, I felt Mm. like that was kind of idealistic and ridiculous. (laughs) And Uh. So, you know, I went through this journey reluctantly, but I plotted along anyway. And I would say, you know, like most awakenings, it kind of was happening like little by little by little. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in early 2021, I kind of woke up and... Mm -hmm. I did a a training called Courageous Conversations that was definitely a big factor in there where suddenly I just realized like, oh my God, I live my whole life in a racist society and the way I run my company is very unconscious. Like I had not been consciously aware of how the historical legacy of racism had shaped my thinking, had shaped my business, Mm. had shaped our practices. And all of a sudden I saw it and I felt it in a completely Mm. different way. Now my experience of it is like, my heart is bigger. You know, my experience of it is that there's more room in my leadership to take care of people that were outside of my radar. Like I really was not connected to the suffering of, you know, black people, people of color. And now I am connected to it newly. And so my sense as a leader is of like, of of something bigger. Like I got called to greatness and I feel like more expansive as a, as a, as a spirit, as a soul, as a human being, but it was a really challenging journey with a lot of resistance on my part. And, And so the whole thing just reminded me of like how important it is to stay open, stay curious. I mean, I'm 43, which in some ways doesn't feel very old, but in other ways I realized like how I didn't want to learn something new. I was like, I'm too tired to learn something new. I need another cause. I have, I've already had my lifetime of causes. So I was closed. I did feel that it was tiring and, and not my problem. And now having come to another place and I'm not done in my journey, there's a long, lot more to go. I was just really reminded of like, stay open, stay curious, let my people lead me to places that maybe I wouldn't otherwise go to Mm. because I'll grow and I'll be better for it. And my company and my community, you know, will all benefit from this too. That's fantastic. And so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, what stands out to me is that you really are in a world where you're learning and practicing all these skills and to be open enough to say that I struggled, I fell down and it is a journey, right? And I think there's baby steps and thank goodness you had a team that was comfortable to call you on it, you know, because I think that is how we grow. So fantastic. Well, thank you. This has been terrific. And I could talk for hours and I'm sure we will continue this conversation, but I think there's a lot of key points today, everything from, you know, the importance of investing in ourselves as leaders, investing in our team and that 
the journey has just begun in many ways. And I thank you for sharing your story and um, giving our listeners some guidance and some advice to stay the course, stay energized, and to know the difference that they can make for so many others. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Mary Milan, for having me. It was so nice to have a conversation with you. Oh, terrific. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Moments with M3 Leadership Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. For more information on our vision, please visit m3placement.com.